you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hey everybody and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 75, Last of the Ninth. I'm as always one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. Hey guys, would you like some popcorn? It'll only take me a jiffy to make. What are you doing? I'm ingratiating myself. Well, stop it. It's called charm. I don't like it. I'm against charm. (laughs) You would be. (laughs) How's it going, Paul? Now I want popcorn. Of course, I can't chew it and talk, so I'll have to wait until after the podcast. Yeah, no, that would be bad form for podcasting. Crunch, crunch, crunch. Yes, and the doctor in Nardle. You would get me very angry. I've actually heard people do it before. Oh, I know. It's crazy. You would also get me angry because then I'd start getting hungry and I'd want the popcorn. Anyway, <laughs> hey, we're back. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking about... Uh, the Eaters of Popcorn. <laughs> no, no, Eaters of Light. Um, <laughs> we're going to be talking about the Eaters of Light this oh. episode. But we got a couple things to uh, do first before we get to the episode. Of course, as always, we're going to start with your thoughts on the previous episode. That, of course, being The Empress of Mars. Over on our Facebook group page, we got a couple of responses. Uh, Aaron Goins, who is uh, our buddy over at Bad Wolf Radio, one of our friend podcasts, says he liked a lot more than he expected. Prompted him to go back and watch Cold War, which is, of course, a previous Mark Gatiss episode in which he brought the the, uh, Cybermen. I've got Cybermen on the brain. The Ice Warriors back with Matt Smith in a Russian submarine. Yeah. Chris Clark says, I'm going to go with meh. It existed. Chris is not overly enthused about the Empress of Mars. Her charms are not enough for Chris. Yeah, Chris and I had a side chat about that, and he's like, well, it's not that I don't like classic Who, it's that I just don't really care for the Ice Warriors that much. So. <laughs> well, and it is all about the Ice Warriors, so. <laughs> Which is fair, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. It's a, to each his own, as long as you don't bash the other over it. And then uh, finally, Jeff Waddell says, simple classic style story. Uh, but if you're going to do a fun romp, you can't do it any better than this. Superb. <laughs> there you go. There are some of your thoughts on the Empress of Mars. Uh, real quickly, before we jump into the news, uh, we did get a really great response from one of uh, you listeners here. Amanda McCarthy sent this to us. Uh, last time we asked if anybody had any idea if there was something behind the names of the soldiers in the Empress of Mars to let us know because we thought there had to be something in there because they were all very, very Victorian, almost James Bondish in some sense and that sort of thing. And Amanda sent us this article from Radio Times, the seven best Easter eggs, a hidden references in the Empress of Mars. And number four 
on the list uh, talks about Catchlove. And apparently, Neville Catchlove is named after a real-life soldier in a book that Mark Gatiss was reading called Running the Show when he was doing research for writing The Empress of Mars. And the real-live Catchlove is called Edward and Napoleon Bonaparte Catchlove, who was alive, though older, at the time that the Empress of Mars is set. So there is a, a real-life Catchlove that was an older gentleman during the time that the Empress of Mars is set in history. That is the inspiration for the name of our dastardly Neville Catchlove villain for the Empress of Mars. What do you think about that, Paul? That's actually pretty cool. I, I like it when we can kind of bring in uh, kind of real world stuff, you know, to make it feel more historical. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that that's really a nice little touch. Anytime that somebody does research like that and wants to pull in real world elements, it, sh it also shows a really nice attention to detail as well. Yeah. So when you have a name like Catch Love in the mix, it's it only makes sense <laughs> that you start throwing in things like Godsaker and Sergeant Major Peach and Jackdaw and Vincey and Nibs and Coolidge and all that fun stuff. That way it all goes together. I thought that was cool. It's pretty good. And then, of course, there was a whole side topic about British beach balls, a.k.a. human <laughs> paper wads. Joey said that when the uh, Cybermen or the Cybermen. Oh, my gosh. I really do have Cybermen on the brain. <laughs> uh, the Ice Warriors shot people. They reminded him of Popples from the 80s, which are apparently these stuffed animal ball that things. That is hilarious. That's hilarious. So <laughs> I remember those. <laughs> I grew up on those. <laughs> I I had no idea those existed. So, <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Uh, there was a whole side discussion about that going on on our group page as well. So if, you're, if you want to get into some weird, goofy conversation, head over to our group page and uh, be sure to check it out. <laughs> some fun stuff going on there. All right. Anything else on those, Paul, before we jump into our news? Mm, I want to talk about the news. All right. Well, let's <laughs> talk about the news. All right. This first story that we're going to do here, uh, this is something that you've been talking about. An idea like this has been something you've been talking about for a while now. So I'll let you introduce our first news item. Derek Jacoby is coming back to Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> he's coming back. As the master, no less. Yes. He's coming back as the war master. Yes. He's coming back in big finish. And it is confirmed in canon now that he was the war master. During the time where he was the master at the same time as our beloved war doctor that we uh, lost recently. Yes, John Hurt. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's no. I think it's going to be fantastic. And um, you can pre-order The War Master Volume 1, which has four different storylines called Beneath the Viscoid, The Good Master, The Sky Man, and The Heavenly Paradigm. And by the, the title of the collection, The War Master Volume 1... You can assume that means next year they'll be coming out with the Warmaster Volume 2. So that will be interesting. And it's also very interesting to start having stories from the Master's perspective with him as the, can you call the Master the protagonist? <laughs> I don't know. This should be interesting. Yeah. And um, I know Paul is very much looking forward to this. Yes. There's something already on his Christmas list. <laughs> yes. Uh, now on to some less exciting news. Cardiff's Doctor Who experience will close in September, but it's going out with a bang. That's a the very long article title from Radio yeah. Times. You get the idea that they just keep summarizing the article in these titles because nobody actually reads articles anymore. They just see the title <laughs> on Facebook and Twitter. Well, sometimes I think so. Um, but, I mean, it does give some nice details and stuff in the article. Right. Um, I, and I know that uh, they're actually looking for summer hosts for the tours for the uh, events and stuff and i don't know if that has anything to do with the uh, lead up to the the finale or whatever but i know that that they are actually hiring people for summer tours at this point so jason could go over there and do that <laughs> <laughs> oh i wish i um, wish yeah getting over to, to part of those not gonna be easy for me <laughs> The, the sad part about this is that apparently they're closing their doors forever, according to the article. Um, and that is not something that I wanted to see. I wanted to see them, if, if they were going to have to shut their doors, I wanted to see them be able to move maybe to a different location or something. But it doesn't right. appear, well, at least for the moment, that they're going to reopen. Right, right. So their, their lease ends up ends in the uh, 
in the summer, and so they'll be closing their doors the 9th of September. But they're going to be really ramping things up. They've got some big tours going. They're going to have some exhibits coming in and that sort of thing to really pump it up and go out with a bang. So that's pretty cool. You know, if only, you know, if only you and I could get over there. Um, it makes me kind of sad. Well, <laughs> if anybody knows anybody. This was on my bucket list. I know, right? <laughs> hopefully, hopefully someone else will, will pick this this whole idea up and reopen it and revamp it somewhere else in a more permanent setting. Because uh, that would be great if they could. Yeah. All right. Let, let's, uh, <laughs> let's stop wallowing in bad news here and let's hit something else. This could be either good or bad news, depending on your opinion on Stephen Moffat and uh, Mark Gatiss as a creative team. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, obviously, we know Stephen Moffat is uh, leaving Doctor Who after the Christmas special. Mark Gatiss appears to, for the foreseeable future, also be leaving the show. Uh, So, take that as you will, depending on your opinion of his episodes i think he did more good ones than he did bad ones i'll put it that way i i would agree with that yeah one of his favorites though is the the weird one with the sweets factory i forget the name of that one the crimson horror was that it yes the crimson horror that's it crimson horror he said he loved doing that episode and i thought that was one of the most random episodes that matt smith ever did (laughs) it was one of the most random things that was ever in doctor who i think i've watched that episode twice I actually thought it was fun. It was creepy uh, to a it certain was, extent. But just bizarre more than anything else. <laughs> a lot of his episodes are bizarre, let's be honest. But that doesn't make them bad. He is a bizarre man. He is a very bizarre man. <laughs> uh, okay. That being said, we know what they've got lined up next. Yes. And it's going to be Sherlock inspired as far as the, the setup is concerned. Fewer episodes, but they're going to be feature length episodes. Except this is going to be about Dracula. Yeah. I'm intrigued. Um, How does (laughs) one create a TV series about a character who routinely gets killed at the end of each of his movies? Well... (laughs) Are they going to... Are they going to make him a Time Lord? (laughs) (laughs) It it could be a limited run series uh, and not be something that's intended to continue on after one season. More or less, uh, you know, miniseries type setting, uh, which I think would be really interesting to see, especially if it tells the story um, the correct way that it would come from the book. Not necessarily in a period piece even, but just telling the story with all of the elements that it has in the book. Yeah. And there is very little details as to what exactly this would entail, where it might be set. Uh, as far as, you know, time period, whether it would be, you know, a period piece, like you said, or in a modern period, they right. don't know yet. That's not, you know, has yet to be pinned down. It's supposed to be in the early stages of development and talks are apparently underway with BBC to air the series in the UK, but nothing has been finalized as far as this article is concerned. No, so, I, a lot of people might not be, or at least not in America, uh, might not be aware of the fact that Stephen Moffat did his own take on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And so... I saw that series and I really felt like that it was pretty well done. You know, I, I rather enjoyed it. Um, it was a bit different from the original material, but it, I rather enjoyed it. Very interesting. Uh, and according to the article here on Digital Spy that we're, we're referencing here, um, they say casting for their Dracula is a way off. But we wouldn't be too surprised if Gatiss is eyeing the title role himself, having recently played the Prince of Darkness in an audio play adaptation. And there's no word yet on what this might mean for the future of Sherlock. So we don't know if Sherlock will continue or not after they start this, but we will have to wait and see. So yeah, that's uh, what we can, if you are a fan of Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss, um, that is where you will be turning your attentions to next. Any other final thoughts on that, Paul? I just find it intriguing, and I'm really interested in seeing where they might go with that idea. Very cool. Yeah, I'm... Not overly familiar with a lot of the Dracula movies, although I did pick up Christopher Lee's first Dracula movie because I am a fan of Sir Christopher Lee. I have not watched it yet, but it is sitting on my shelf behind me, so I might have to do that just to see what it does. (laughs) All right. I I think we should uh, talk about Doctor Who and the Eaters of Light. So let's move on to the episode. (laughs) 
Okay, Paul, initial spoiler-free thoughts on The Eaters of Light. Uh, okay. Um, it's kind of a mixed bag for me to be perfectly honest about it. Okay. There were things that I enjoyed about it, but there were other things that I felt like weren't kind of what I felt like I was looking for in the episode. And uh, it's kind of interesting because the last episodes that I saw written by this writer were kind of similar in tone as far as the pacing and things like that. But I actually think that I might have enjoyed those a little bit more than I enjoyed this. And I think part of that has to do with certain expectations that I kind of had about the action and things like that in this particular episode. Okay. I actually quite enjoyed it. Uh, there's, you know, although there is sort of a, a, a nagging bit of, well, not a lot happened, though. Right. You know, there, there's an episode, a full episode <laughs> of, of things that happen in conversations right. and fighting monsters and inspiring locals and that sort of thing. And we'll get into all of that. But at the end of the day, not much happened, you know. Right. <laughs> I, on the whole, I, yeah. I quite enjoyed the episode. But there's that sort of undercurrent of like, well, is this just kind of just a shell? Yeah. Of an episode, um, you know, where's the meat uh, inside the bun? You know that sort of thing. I mean, I, I don't know. I and we'll delve more into that sort of idea here as we we get farther into this. Well, see, I kind um, of expected this to be kind of an action kind of, uh, you know, kind of fun, you know, fight the monster kind of episode uh, when they first started talking about it and it ended up being more about the themes of the story, I think, than it was the story itself, if that makes sense. Okay, I think so. Well, let's go ahead and get some of the details and jump into this thing. Spoilers. The Eaters of Light was written by Rona Monroe and directed by Charles Palmer. It was aired June 17th, 2017. This is the synopsis as follows. What happened to the legendary Ninth Legion of the Roman Army? Bill and the Doctor both have ideas of what happened, but who is right? And what is that strange creature lurking in the dark? Why do people suddenly disappear? Dun, dun, dun. One thing quickly to note, and this is something we have mentioned several times on the show, is that the uh, writer for this story, Rhoda Monroe, is the first classic series writer to have written an episode for the new series. She wrote the storyline Survival for the Seventh Doctor, which is the final storyline of the classic series before the political um, <clears throat> stuff at BBC <laughs> decided to shut down the show. Yeah. <laughs> I have issues. We want have... to speak kindly about the bad people. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. But, uh, so I, I am happy to have a classic writer back, and I think she did pretty good. But let's go ahead and, and jump into some of the details. The TARDIS lands in Aberdeen back during the early part of the second century. You know, it's um, kind of funny because they talked about going to Aberdeen in the second episode of the season. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. They did. In Smile, some they mentioned Aberdeen. Yeah. I think next time we'll just go to Aberdeen. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well... They finally got to Aberdeen, but it's the second oh. century, and Bill has got a bet going with the Doctor as to what happened to the Ninth Roman Legion, which, of course, mysteriously disappeared. It's a real-life mystery. Nobody actually knows exactly what happened to the Ninth Roman Legion, and, of course, Doctor Who decides that they are going to give their reason as to what happened. I just love it when they do these historical explanations and stuff, you know, like... The explanation that we got for the Marie Celeste, you know, yep. <laughs> in the chase. There's a couple. <laughs> well, and of course, Nardole gives another version of what happened to the Mary Celeste. Right. Uh, in this episode, he tells a story about that. So one wonders what alternate dimensions, alternate universes Nardole has been jumping through. <laughs> Or if his information is completely correct. <laughs> right. If it's correct or flawed or what. Or made up. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Can you trust Nardole? He does talk about women a lot, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> he does. Oh dear. Uh, but oh. of course, Nardole does not want to be in Aberdeen. He does not want to be in Scotland. He wants to go back to bed because he's still in his bathroom. Oh, which is actually a direct call-out to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> nice. 
Arthur Dent wears his bathrobe. <laughs> nice. Oh, man. I, I think this is oh. great. Bill thinks that the Ninth Legion left. And so she's going to go track down the path that they took to leave Scotland, whereas the doctor's like, yeah, no, they're all dead. They have to be all dead. And, of course, Bill's response is, well, where's the giant puddle of dead bodies? So they go their separate ways to prove who's right. And, well, they both almost literally stumble upon their answer. Yeah. Uh, Bill stumbles and falls into a pit with a Roman legionnaire. After being chased. Yes. <laughs> By a screaming Mimi. Yes. <laughs> By, by a very, um, I don't know if you would call her angry, because she's definitely more scared than angry, but the, the leader of this tribe of, I, I guess Picked is the Scottish tribe here, that's left anyways, there's only kids left basically, but she's the one sort of leading them, and she gets stumbled upon by Bill while she's paying honor to her parents and those that they've lost. And then she, you know, grabs this wicked-looking weapon thing and screams and yells and charges at Bill, who falls down a pit. And lo and behold, there's a Roman legionnaire in the bottom of it. <laughs> so she's like, oh, great, a Roman legionnaire. I'm so excited. Uh, of course, simultaneously, the doctor has gone over a hill and has found the giant pile of dead bodies. Yeah, um, that was freaky, actually. <laughs> it was. It was. Entire battlefield. Yeah. But the freaky thing is that they're not all bloody and cut up like you would expect. No. They're kind of drained of all the vitamin D and the light and everything, and they're dark and deflated, um, kind of. It's creepy and gross. They actually look and like the, deflated balloons. Yeah, it's really gross. Um, the doctor says that, uh, you know, they basically had all the the energy from the light sucked out of them, essentially. And uh, Nardole makes the quip of, oh, death by Scotland. <laughs> Which is probably my favorite line of the entire episode. And the look that Peter gets on his face is priceless because he's Scottish. Yes, he is. It's great. It is fantastic. Yeah, the doctor gets this look of like, oh, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but the doctor and Nardole are no longer free to roam around because they are captured by this Scottish tribe that's out there before they can you know, do any more exploring. And they're waiting for Carr to show up. Carr is the girl who's the leader of this ragtag bunch. And they are ragtag. Like, like I said earlier, they're, they're a bunch of kids and maybe one or two old men in the group. And none of them are warriors. You know, none of them are, you know, any sort of fighting shape. But they're holding the Doctor and Nardol there. And, of course, as what happens when the Doctor is imprisoned, even when Carr shows up to try and take control of the situation... The doctor finds a way to escape and talk his way out of everything. I loved the moment where he goes, Shh, listen, that was the sound of me reaching the end of my patience. Yeah. He just sort of lays into <laughs> the brother. Of course, Nord Nordole starts saying, uh, would you like some popcorn? You know, because he's trying to <laughs> to uh, ingratiate himself to them. And the doctor's yes. like, what are you doing? Why are you wasting your time? You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Cold charm. Yeah. I don't like it. I'm against charm. And then you the doctor be. takes the uh, popcorn away from him and uses it as a distraction to get away. <laughs> yeah. He gets some information out of Carr about kind of what's going on. And then he throws the bag of popcorn in the fire uh, and waits for it to heat up and start popping. Of course, he times it just right to the moment where he says, can you all just start being scared and jumping out of your skins for a minute so Nardole and I can escape in the confusion. What? What are you talking about? And then the popcorn starts exploding and they dash out. Bill and the Legionnaire manage to, together, since there are two of them, make their way out of the pit. And I like how the simultaneous storytelling is done here because as Bill and the Legionnaire are walking through the forest here, the Doctor and Nardole find this cairn, which is this, this sort of holy place, this you know place where they guard the gate uh, is, is the idea that these Scottish tribes have about these these structures. It's a it's a holy place. It, it's a place that they're supposed to guard. And uh, the doctor starts poking around inside and they both get to see the monster uh, you know, almost simultaneously here because Bill, of course, runs into the one that's loose in on Earth. Yeah. And the doctor makes his way through the portal and sees all the rest of them waiting for their turn to try and make it through. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think of these monsters? They were swarming around like piranha, and it really freaked me out because I was thinking, 
oh crap <laughs> you know because <laughs> these things were freaky i mean let's be honest these things look like cthulhu's dogs you know <laughs> <laughs> it was messed up yeah when they had their their tentacles out yeah, they really was, did oh. when they didn't have their tentacles out they were like little dragons yeah it, it was it was freaky looking uh would it have like four eyes i think and uh, yeah probably 20 tentacles or something that came out of its face <laughs> yeah the legionnaire tries to hold off the monster so bill can escape and she runs to where the rest of the soldiers are hiding and she barely manages to get there and gets pulled inside before the monster can pull her back out and devour her you know before she passes out from the the poison the monster essentially uh, infected her with the poison or i don't know exactly how it worked but she kind of got infected a little bit. Yeah, it was uh, and passed some kind out. of black slime that got on her. Yeah, kind of gross. But she passed out. The doctor goes into the portal where he sees all these these monsters, these eaters of light, as Carr calls them, hence the title of the episode. And he's kind of horrified at how many there are, and they're eating this light source, essentially. They're feeding off of a, of a giant light source in this, in this extra-dimensional area. And he ends up backing out of the portal, and when he exits the Karn, we hear Nardole telling his tales of the Mary Celeste and all that fun stuff. Yeah. And he's about to start the story of the Lusitania, but that's uh, something he's <laughs> going to have to save for another time. He comes out, and Nardole goes, oh, you're back. And the doctor goes, I was only in there a few seconds. And he goes, more like two days. Well, two days, eight hours, five minutes. And uh, Nardole's already changed clothes and had his face painted by these people. <laughs> right. Right. I like and, I liked his black coat by the way. I thought I thought that that was kind of a nice change compared to his brown one. I I don't know. I like his brown and orange coat. <laughs> it suits him. But of course Bill has also been passed out for 2 days and she wakes up about the same time the doctor returns to our plane. So the the parallel storytelling is a bit convenient but also kind of nice at the same time. And then you just sort of see the doctor and Bill take charge of their respective groups. Right. There's there's a lot of character exposition at this point as well. Yes. Yes, there is. This is where it sort of slows down. Mm -hmm. The Doctor, of course, takes over the Scottish group, and he starts delving into, you know, what's really going on, and he, he confronts Carr and basically says, you let this monster through to take out the Roman Legion, and you hoped that they would be able to kill it in the process, except the Legion is dead. And you've just made the most dangerous creature in the universe angry. And, of course, she's supremely insecure, which I like. I like the fact that we've got sort of a, a leader of this little tribe here who's kind of in charge by default. Right. You know, she didn't want this position. She kind of had to take this position. And, of course, we get that same parallel with Lucius in the Roman Legion because this is the group of deserters. And he's in charge by default because he's the oldest at 18. Right. They call him grandfather, right? They do. So we've got these really interesting parallels, and the Doctor, of course, is telling Carr that she needs to grow up. These aren't games. This isn't something you can just play around with in an attempt to save your little muddy hill. You've tombed your entire world. But I've got a plan. And so he starts setting about how to make a plan. It's interesting, because he sort of lays into Carr about this whole issue, but he's not berating her. He definitely brings her back to reality in a way the impression that i got from this was he was pointing out the shortcomings and the fact that sh that she was so young and everything not because he was trying to hurt her feelings or whatever but because he was trying to get her to the point where she was willing to uh, let him take the reins and go forth with his plan as opposed to opposing him like she had started out doing from the beginning right and, of course, Bill ends up leading the remainder of the Ninth Legion through the cave system to try and find another way out because, you know, anything's better than dying in a hole in the ground waiting for this monster to find a way inside. The Doctor's plan is to attract the monster to the Karen, and as the sun rises and the portal opens, to force it back through the portal. Um, they're going to, you know, do it with music and their weapons and these little... You know, he calls it a lollipop. Yeah. But these these sort of almost translucent stone discs that they say poison the light as the monster eats. And see, there were actually a couple of people that I saw posting about this particular aspect of it. They were asking, 
why didn't they just decide to build a wall or a big lens or something to put in front of this portal that would keep it at bay so that it could still open and close without anything being able to get through. That is a possible good solution if you think about that. Well, it's also Scotland. You think there's an abundance of this thing out there? I don't know. I'm guessing not. Uh, There's a lot of hills. There's a lot of gray stone. But I'm guessing there's not a lot of this, you know, translucent pinkish reddish stuff out there. And so there's not enough to do something like that. That would be my guess. I, I, I just get the, the feeling that there's, there's not enough to do something more than what they did, at least in the short amount of time that they had. Of course, the, the Roman legionnaires end up right under the community area that the Pict tribe are living in, with the stairs going up to the trap door and the eater of light laying in wait for them. Yeah. And there's a nice little action sequence as one of the more impulsive legionnaires decides to just make a break for it. He gets eaten, obviously, <laughs> for his mad dash. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not. Uh. And so while he's being dealt with by this monster, everyone else runs up the ladder <laughs> and into the hut, where they're, of course, immediately surrounded by a bunch of angry Scottish teenagers. Right. The Doctor and Bill, of course, stop a pointless conflict between the two and come together for the big plan to team up together to take out this thing, to force this thing back through the portal and save the world. Because it's not just something that they should do. It's the only thing that they can do. And, of course, again, the Doctor makes the point that they're all being very childish and that they should grow up. He says grow up a lot. Yeah. That's one of the themes of this episode. And so the the Picts, the Pict tribe and the legionnaires are forced to work together they follow the doctor's plan in order to lure this creature to the cairn they use their weapons and their lollipops to poison the air and force it back through the portal but now what because these things try and come through one at a time and you know every so many years a member of the tribe is sent through the portal to fight these creatures in order to hold them off being the guardian of the gates. Of course, the way that time works in these two different realms, uh, their battle could actually last for minutes, but on our side, it could last for years. Exactly. Essentially, it's, you know, once a generation, somebody has to go through the portal. And um, the doctor is like, no, 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 no. Give me, give me this stuff. I can do this until the sun runs out. So they stop trying to come through the portal here. Since they only come one by one, one at a time, with my Time Lord physiology, you know, I live forever, and plus I'll regenerate, I can do this. So he's going to stand there at the gate, basically, for thousands and thousands of years until the sun burns out in order to keep the world safe from these creatures. Yeah. That doesn't sound like it would be a very good way to end your life, though, you know? No. No, it doesn't. (laughs) And, of course, you know, Bill and Nardole begin to object in the strongest way possible. And finally, Carr... And Lucius decide to take the doctor's directive from earlier and grow up. They knock the doctor silly for a second, and they are going to go through and fight this thing. So Carr, Lucius, the rest of the Legionnaires, and a couple more of the, the picked tribe here, primarily the, the ones that play the battle instruments, head through the portal. Of course, they all go through at once, which that portal is not designed to take. Right. And so as they go through and they're going to hold them off, you know, they'll take turns, uh, you know, one at a time until they either all perish or they stop these monsters for good. They go through Lucius giving one last, you know, sort of wink and a nod to Bill on his way out because they had formed a little bond and the portal begins to collapse. It it collapses completely. I, I think it shuts off and seals off from the other side, which is a good thing for us and a bad thing for them. Exactly, because they're not going to be able to come back. And Carr's brother ends up becoming the new leader. And we have this little moment with the crows. Yeah, that was weird. It was weird, because when they first land, one of the crows says, Doctor, and then Monstor. Yeah. Uh, and Nardole's like, Doctor, he talked. And of course, the doctor <laughs> goes, of course they do. All crows can talk. They don't anymore. Yes, they do. Just people have stopped having intelligent conversations with them. So that noise that they make is just an eternal huff. They're just irritated at us. And so they go, ah, 
every time. <laughs> well, no. That's not exactly what happened because they're saying Car's Hicks name. Teach the crows Car's name in order to remember her sacrifice. So that's what they're saying, even into the present day. They remember. No one else remembers what happens to the Ninth Legion, to the Eaters of Light, but the crows do. And and that's what happens. Yeah. And 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 you can still occasionally on this hill hear the music being played. Even in present day, there's a little girl who's gone up and she's listening to the music. This battle music, the the flutes and drums and everything. Seems like it's a remnant in time because of what happened with the portal. Yeah. Well, I mean, they could still be fighting. And they're, you know, re-upping the charge again. And, you know, the portal may be closed on this side, but you can still hear through it, in a sense, perhaps. Because it's muffled. Like there's something on the other side. Of course, if you start hearing dying screams of terror, that wouldn't be very nice to hear either, though. <laughs> no. No, that's true. <laughs> but the implication is that Carr and the Ninth Roman Legion are still fighting these monsters in order to keep us safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there you go. That's the end of the episode, right? Yes. We don't have anything else to talk about? No, we do have something else to talk about. What, what, do, we, what do we have to talk about? I forget. Missy. <laughs> Missy. Missy. Who's Missy? Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> So we end the adventure. Naughty, dotty, da. <laughs> Yay, look at us. We inspired them to grow up. They took responsibility for their actions. They took responsibility for their world, and the doctor didn't have to do it for once. <laughs> and they saved the world. They didn't have to, you know, rely on the doctor to keep doing it. So we go back to the TARDIS, and they're like, oh, yay, I'm glad we did it. Do you think they'll defeat all of them? I don't know. And then who's, who's up reading a book on the upper level of the TARDIS? <laughs> Missy. Missy! <laughs> Missy's there. And of course, Nardol and Bill, to a lesser extent, completely flip out <gasps> on the doctor. <laughs> what is she doing here? Why is she here? How did you get out of the, the vault? And the doctor's like, well, I let her out. Um, what? How could you do this? I was Nardole on this one. You know, and of course, Nardole gets all up in the doctor's face. I know 10% of all your secrets. Don't make me go all squeaky voiced on you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of interesting because the doctor says that he's had Missy doing maintenance on the TARDIS to, to <laughs> yeah. fix some of the problems that she's caused in the past. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Because, you know, they have sabotaged one another's TARDISes over and over and over again. That is true. <laughs> it's very true. So she's been doing TARDIS maintenance, kind of as penance, I suppose, because she's still bio-locked out of the, the controls. So she can't get out the door even, you know, so she's still a prisoner here as she ever was in the vault, according to Missy. <laughs> Nardo's like, uh, no, no, you're not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. like, no, no, you're not. Doctor, don't make me go all squeaky voiced on you. <laughs> Which was probably another one of my favorite lines from this episode. So neither oh, Nardo or Bill can really believe what's going on here. What is she doing here? Why is this happening? This is a, a terrible idea. But of course, the doctor goes, no, no, don't worry about it. I'm getting TARDIS maintenance for free out of this, essentially, is what the doctor and Missy say. But I highly doubt Bill and Nardle are convinced. And then we get the final scene between the doctor and Missy. And he's, he essentially asks her, you know, about their adventure, what happened, what, he, what she thinks about it. Because she's watched them periodically throughout their adventure this time. And she doesn't seem to quite get it. And the doctor says, you know, you don't hear the music. You don't truly hear it. And then we cut to the little girl listening to the music. And then we cut back and it's being piped through the TARDIS speakers. Mm -hmm. And Missy is like, you know, she starts crying, but she doesn't understand why she's crying. And then she, she asks why she's crying. And the doctor says, well, it's a couple of options. You know, one, you could be trying to impress me. <laughs> she goes, oh, yes, probably something devious like that, I'm sure. And he, then he says, the other option is far scarier. Maybe it's time we become friends again. And Missy responds in a way that I never thought I would see. She goes, really? You think so? She gets very excited and hopeful about it. She goes to <laughs> you know, reach for the doctor's hands and he sort of backs away like, eh, slow down. And he says, it's one of the dangers of hope. It's so hard to resist. Mm -hmm. And he sort of just leaves her with that and her tears. Paul, please help me understand what's going on. 
are there any hints as to what's going on with Missy that I am missing? Are there any ideas, any hmm. theories out there other than this can't last or John Sim has got something to do with why this can't last? The longer this goes, the more straightforward it feels. I know. And which is weird. Yeah. But because it's uh, Missy, you don't trust it. I don't know what else to tell you. You can't trust it because it's Missy. You know? I oh. You, can't, you don't want to trust it because of who it is. But at the same time, they're not really deviating from the, the train of thought that they're going on here. Yeah. You know, she's she's trying to be good. And it's weird. It's kind of freaking me out, Paul. Yeah, it, 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 it comes off as very odd and very uh, off kilter, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it, it sets you on edge because it doesn't feel normal. It doesn't feel natural. It feels wrong. It, it almost feels like the, the master is trying to force uh, the issue of trying to become good. And, you know, it's not something that you can necessarily just wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to be good. It's something that you have to either inherently be good to start with right. or you have to work at it f- until you finally learn what it means to truly be good it, it's not something that you can just flip a switch and oh well i'm good now you know and and that's kind of how it feels it feels like you know i'm gonna flip a switch and i'm from right. now on i'm just i'm gonna be good because i choose to be good and you can't truly be good unless your nature is truly good you know um and that's right or you work very yeah. very hard or you work very hard on changing your nature yeah um, Which doesn't seem to be something that Missy or the Master would take the time to do unless there was an ulterior motive behind it. It just feels like I'm going to make the decision to behave good, even though I don't really understand what it means to truly be good. Right. And the preview from next week's episode looks like the Doctor is going to give her her first test in Can You Really Be Good Out in the World? And Nardole and yeah. Bill are like, You're going to kill us. You know that, right? <laughs> Oh, so, dear. <laughs> oh, man. This is this is shaping up to be quite the interesting finale. That's for sure. All right. Any any other, you know, final thoughts as we go into our ratings here? <sighs> okay. Let, let, let's see. What should we rate this? All right. What, you know, what? Lollipops. <laughs> Lolly rocks. <laughs> Lolly rocks. <laughs> um, okay. For me... Honestly, and I don't know if it was the editing or, or what it was, I felt like that we didn't get to see enough of the creature. Um, that's just my personal, you know, opinion. Um, and I felt like that there were parts of the story that felt like they moved kind of slowly uh, compared to other parts. And it was very clear that it would speed up and slow down and speed up and slow down. But it seemed like, at least in my opinion, sometimes the slow parts detracted from the, the the action parts if if that makes sense and it wasn't that i dislike character development or whatever because if anybody that knows me knows that i am a very big advocate for character driven storytelling it was just i don't know maybe maybe the balance of the exposition versus the action parts just didn't feel right to me if that makes sense and really i kind of felt like that we were getting more of the themes of the story than we were the actual story. And what I mean by that is this kind of felt like to me, like the name of the episode should have been, why can't we all just get along? (laughs) Because at the end of the day, it felt like that it was more about a a story about tolerance and diversity than it was an actual defeat the monster kind of story. Does that make sense? Um, yes, to an extent, because I think the other uh, that seems to be one of the themes, but I think the main theme of this episode was growing up because, you know, they both Bill and the doctors say that to, you know, their respective <laughs> little follower group. Um, well, the, the only reason that I feel like that it kept saying grow up is because it felt like that it kept pushing the point. Well, if you can't learn to get along, then you're just a bunch of children. And, you know, and I get the, the whole point there, but it started to me personally, before it got to the end of the story, it started to feel sort of preachy, if you know what I'm saying, because we kept hearing it over and over and over again in the story. And it started, in my personal opinion, started to take 
more of a front and center point in in the episodes than the actual story itself. And and I guess for me that just kind of felt like the reason why you're telling the story should be balanced with the story itself. Does that make sense? I guess so, yeah. What are you going to rate this? I don't want to give it a low rating, but in comparison, especially to the one we had last week, and, uh, you know, even the other episodes that we had that could have come off as rather preachy but didn't, uh, I feel like this one didn't quite hold up. And like I said, I don't necessarily think it was the writing as much as it maybe was how it was cut together and stuff, too, because the pacing didn't seem like that it was the same as some of the stuff we've gotten before. Um, and, and I don't necessarily think that was a writing thing. I think that was more of a directing or, or editing thing. Um, and, and so for me, it's going to sort of kind of fall a little bit more into the meh kind of category. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a six and a half. Okay. And it's not because it's not a good story. It's, it's because I just didn't, I didn't like the, the pacing and, and some of the execution as much as I thought I would. Oh, I like this one. Um, it's, it's not going to be my favorite, but I, I actually quite like it. It's an enjoyable story, and I think I'll go back and rewatch it. I didn't quite get the whole preachiness that you did. I definitely got the the idea, especially because you know we've got all the the young characters. You know mm-hmm. that you know in all of these different situations, you you need to grow up. You need to right. you know you can't you can't just stay stagnant as children. You have to grow up. And it's interesting because the other story that Rona Monroe wrote, Survival, mm-hmm. uh, for the classic series. The sort of subplot of that story was Ace, you know, finding out that you can't always return home right. to your old life, you know, because right. people move on, you've grown up, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and so there's that that theme seems to have carried over for Rona um, as writing in Doctor Who. And so right. and I liked the idea that we're not telling any of the companions to grow up. You know, we're not telling Bill mm-hmm. or Nardle to grow up because they they've already sort of recognized uh, that aspect of it. And I thought this was a great episode for Bill because she got to be on her own for most of the episode. Yeah. yeah. And she kind of takes over, inspires the Legionnaires. Obviously, you know, she's not presenting herself as the, the answer because she says, you know, we need to go find the doctor. He's the one who can really help in this sort of situation. But she gets them moving, she gets them motivated, and she's the one who can communicate and connect with them in a way that, you know, the rest of them can't. And so this was a really good episode for Bill, I felt, which made me happy for her. Oh, also, one thing we forgot to mention is uh, she figures out the whole TARDIS translation thing on her own. Yeah, which was fun. (laughs) That was fun to see. Uh, Now, don't get me wrong, okay? I'm really not trying to be negative on this. I, I really love the acting. I really love the interaction with the characters that kind of thing and it and i like the story I, I enjoyed the story it was just you wanted more monster yeah i wanted i wanted it to be a little bit more of an action type story and a little bit less of a i'm gonna keep pushing this theme to you even though we've already gotten the point across we're gonna keep pushing it anyway and it wasn't even that i had a problem with the theme itself as much as it was it's it to me kind of almost felt like you started beating a dead horse at one point, you know, because okay. you just kept having it repeated over and over and over again. Yeah. Well, and I, I get that. I understand that. It just didn't bother me. It didn't get to that point with me. So I thought it worked well enough. And and so because of that, um, I'm going to go ahead and give this. Oh, like I said, it's not the greatest, um, but I, I did enjoy it. And I would like to see Rona come back and do oh, another I would episode. Too. I definitely would. Um, so I'm going to give this wavering between a seven and a seven and a half, and I don't know where to give it, where to land it. Um, I'll go ahead and give it a seven. It's a good, solid episode. Okay, it's definitely one I'll go back and rewatch uh, when I, you know, in the doldrums between seasons. <laughs> um, so, uh, and and I, I really think the character development for Bill um, and the the it's not necessarily development of the character, the realization of how much she's already grown and how much she's already learned and picked up, um, you know, was really good to see. So, um, yeah. And then of course the whole Missy thing at the end, just they're tormenting us, Paul. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I really love they're it. They're tormenting us. I really us. love it. Um, no, I really like the fact that we're getting to see an extended buildup 
of where this is going with the master uh, towards the end, because I feel like that there's a specific reason why this is building the way that it is. I feel like that we're going to end up seeing a really interesting master story uh, starting next episode. And I'm extremely excited to see where this goes. And if it works out the way that I hope it does, you and I will both be able to enjoy this 100% equally because of the, the fact that we're going to see both the master and the Cybermen starting next episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for what we've got coming. The, the whole Missy storyline has been there since the beginning of the season, I should right. say, because we started with the vault and the mystery of the vault. And then finally they revealed who was in the vault, <laughs> but that only kicked things up a notch because once you realize it's Missy in the vault, what's the doctor going to do about it? And now she's got this twist of she's trying to be good. Right. And now she's out of the vault because, you know, she helped <laughs> get them off of Mars and now she's doing TARDIS maintenance <laughs> for the doctor. And the doctor's really kind of on this path of, is this a real change, a genuine change or what? Yeah. You know, and, and, and we're going to, it's all going to culminate uh, by meeting the Mondasian Cybermen next episode. Yeah, I um, I, I, I also want to see what happens with John Sims' master because we've already been shown that he's going to be in this next episode. Yeah. However, when you look at the uh, the cast list for the episode, I don't see him in it. Well, so <laughs> that's kind of interesting because the episode following that, he's actually showing in the cast list. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> we do know he's in the next episode because for the next time on Doctor Who preview, right. he's in there and says, give us a kiss. Right. And you I know? love that. I love that because it's so sinister. But you know, the episode <laughs> is going to end with some sort of dramatic something happening. He's going to appear. He'll say that line and then it'll cut to credits. That's how it's going to end. Oh, I can about guarantee you that. That is, I, I would almost bet money on that. I won't actually do that because I don't have enough money to bet. But if I were a betting man, I would bet money on that. But that is how the episode will end. Uh, Give us a kiss. Which, of course, is a fantastic way to do that. Right. <laughs> but I, honestly, though, I would almost rather see that that line delivered at the beginning of the story so that we get to see him for two full episodes. <laughs> That's not going to happen. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Paul. Oh. I'm wondering if all this do-gooding <laughs> on Missy's part is going to cause a crisis of conscience within the master and she's going to split personalities literally as in subdivide and John Sim shows up and uh, you're going to have Missy as the good master John Sim as the bad one and and that sort of thing I don't know I'm of course this could just be running across a past that's sort uh, of regeneration wouldn't that sort of be like the same scenario for the master that we saw with the doctor in the valyard Mm, yeah, something like that, probably. Maybe. I don't know. I'm purely speculating. I have nothing to back up any of these uh, theories. Um, the other interesting oh, thing dear. is I've seen some promotional art. Our, our friends at uh, Bad Wolf Radio mm -hmm. uh, shared a link on their, their social media of some promotional photos from the next episode. Yes. And not only are we getting Mondasian Cybermen, but we're also getting the modern Cybermen, too. There are two types of Cybermen in this next episode. I don't know what's going on. Which leads me to believe that there's going to be time travel involved to collect some of those, probably. We shall see. Although, we shall see not quite as soon as you are used to hearing us. <laughs> since since the next two episodes are a two-parter, um, that, of course, being World Enough and Time and The Doctor Falls, both of them being written by Stephen Moffat and directed by Rachel Talalay, we're going to hold off on recording next week and we're going to discuss both of those episodes uh, in one show following the airing of The Doctor Falls. So we will not be recording next week, but look for discussion and thoughts on our social media and our Facebook group in the meantime. <laughs> so just a heads up, no episode next week. After The Doctor Falls, we'll be back and we'll talk about both of those episodes. Uh, and then we've got some plans for a Series 10 wrap-up show yes. uh, that are in the works and look like they're they're forming up nicely. So, um, yes, that'll be fun. <laughs> Paul, is there anything else we want to talk about before we start, you know, giving all our contact information, wrapping up the show? Is there anything else we want to do? 
not really. I'm just really, really excited about these next two episodes. <laughs> I know, right? This is going to be an event. And if, yes. if this story is as good as I think it's going to be, I think we're going to be giving it a 10. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hold me to that. Well, uh, Don't hold me to that. Right. But right. We'll see. <laughs> well, of course, uh, the the duo of Rachel Talalay and Stephen Moffat have done the previous two uh, two part finales that we've gotten in Doctor Who. So they've they've teamed up for both of the previous season finales for Peter Capaldi's 12th Doctor. So if if that team up says anything, this will be really good because I've enjoyed both of their team ups so far. Yes. <laughs> Dark Water, Death in Heaven, also featuring both Missy and the Cybermen. And then, of course, last year was Heaven Sent and Hellbent, which ended kind of weirdly, but started out fantastic with Heaven Sent with the Doctor in his own sort of purgatory, which was kind of cool. Okay, Jason, have we, other than the 50th anniversary special, have we given anything mm-hmm. a 10 at this point other than that? Do you remember? Ooh, uh, I not off the top of my head. I don't <laughs> remember. Um, I know I was almost tenning the Zygon Invasion, Zygon right? Inversion episodes. <laughs> I think I did nine and a half, though. But I'd have to go back and look, see what I gave. I think, although I might have given it a 10. Yeah. Now you're making me curious. Well, I, I can't I go don't back think, and listen. I don't think to there's find been out. any other episodes that we've given. Both of us have given a 10 on. Right. I think one of us gave a 10 to the Zygon Invasion, Zygon Inversion. That might have been me because that was the episode <laughs> where I decided that 12 was my favorite modern doctor. Yes. <laughs> but that being said, this this season finale looks amazing. Yes. And I cannot wait. So, yeah, <laughs> folks, remember. We're off next week, but we'll be talking on our social media. So if you want to weigh in on anything, uh, you know, about this episode, uh, if you want to weigh in on your thoughts on the Eaters of Light, go to our social media pages at facebook.com slash talking time lords. You can also link over to our group page where you can discuss anything on your mind regarding Doctor Who. So it doesn't just have to be about the episodes that we're discussing. And then you can also, of course, follow us on Twitter at TalkingTimeLord or email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. All of our social media links and links to all previously released episodes, including the Zygon Invasion, Zygon Inversion episodes, if anyone wants to go back and see if either of us gave a 10 to those episodes, <laughs> are found on our website, TalkingTimeLords.com. Uh, of course, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you find our delightful little podcast where we uh, talk about, you know, killing people a lot because that's the show <laughs> <laughs> please do that uh, leave us a five star rating if you will we would greatly appreciate that it also bump us up over some shows that are no longer producing new episodes in the queue so that would be great if you could do that hey I'll tell you what I'm going to do I'm going to put the link in our group page for people to be able to go and give us a rating review on iTunes and anybody else that wants to there is a direct link on our website to be able to go and do that. There's a blue tab at the bottom. You can click on that and it'll take you directly to be able to leave a rating or review. There you go. So simple, easy. Go to our website. Go to our group page. The group page in particular is becoming a, a really fun spot for all of us to hang out and discuss things. So please join us there. We want to start this community, get you guys more involved in the show. And we would greatly appreciate if you'd join us over there. Anything else, Paul, before we uh, wrap this up? Before we eat our own light. I'm going to go get some popcorn. Ah, there you go. Um, (laughs) All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Talking Time Wars. This has been episode number 75, Last of the Ninth. For Paul, I'm Jason. And remember, until next time, may you hope far-flung hopes and dream masterful dreams. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Thought you would do masterful dreams. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit Thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts. Or visit Patreon.com slash Thunderquack to help support the shows.
Reach out, reach out and touch someone. Reach out, call up and just say hi. Reach out, reach out and touch someone. Wherever you are, you're never too far. They're waiting to share your day.